Welcome back to This Is Just The Warm Up. This is Coach James, and I spoke with Erica Suter, from John, former soccer player from Johns Hopkins University and the author of The Strong Female Athlete, which is now available on Amazon, and that is in the first edition. And we had a conversation about training the female athlete, playing multiple sports, uh, early sports specialization, the pitfalls of club soccer and the pros of club soccer. Um, and just we had an overall honest conversation of, of how we can help the female athlete grow and get stronger in their pursuit of whatever sport they're playing. And it was it was good to talk to her. So I, I hope you guys enjoy. Okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. That is okay. Um, I, I, I had such a one. I'm if it has nothing to do with human anatomy or performance, I'm a, I'm a moron. So <laughs> you know, they're like, well, why don't you use Zoom? So I tried to use Zoom, and then it would record the complete video. I'd get no audio, or I would get an audio, and the video was very choppy. Oh, and okay. it was it was really it was really difficult. Obviously, I'm not sitting in a full on production studio and I'm not, you know, I don't have a production team that's running the, uh, you know, running the podcast. It's just me. Um, and the biggest thing was, well, I started this. I started recording podcasts in honest 2019. And then I was just became inconsistent and stopped it and. I just felt like this was a, a good way to get back in and it was a, a good way to challenge myself as far as um, one spreading the spreading the information that we want to um, and, and share what we're doing and talk to uh, you know awesome people like you and physical therapists just and have open discussions about you know how we can improve um, athletics and personal training and a variety of different things and um ironically um i think i found you online through twitter but i also um it was a it was brought up to me by a, a parent one of our our youth athletes um she has your book oh awesome um and i was like oh well this is th yeah this sounds like a uh, yeah she's kind of right on a little a lot of the stuff let's um let me let me learn more about it so i went and actually bought your book um and i'm in the kind of in the middle of it and the first the first thing is you know there's a lot of things that i personally reminisce with like i i, I can visually see it. how hold up i don't i don't I hate to ask you this but like i'm i'm older i'm i'm 40 and your childhood was like mine we would play outside a lot we would play I, I i'm not a baseball player but i'd play baseball i'd play basketball i love basketball and that was what i would do um but my soccer experiences was a little different than yours i actually started really early on um and and we didn't really know what specialization was at that time right we just I played 10 months out of the year, um, started traveling and doing a lot of things very early, um, at probably around the age of like nine or 10. And then by the time I was 19, I was burnt out. I was, I, I had the complete office. I never had any major injuries. I've, you know, maybe a wrist, um, but you know, nothing crazy. Uh, but I was, I was exhausted. I was burnt out because I was always on the go. Um, and if you're familiar with the sport, uh, ODP was like the, the, the thing it was the, like the ECNL or the DA. Right. And it's the biggest thing. And that's, that's where I ended up playing at for two at the end of the, you know, my 15, 16, 17 age. And I just got, I was exhausted. I was burnt out. Um, but tell me, I, I really just want to learn more about you and your, your vision because we both speak kind of roughly the same language. You started, you started off as, you know, like your soccer trainer, but now you're like, you know, we got to do more. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been a long journey to get to this point, but just coming back to 
my childhood and how I developed into a soccer player. I mean, it was just a childhood that was full of unstructured play, uh, spontaneity, creativity, variety of activities, different sports, getting in challenging environments. And I wanted to open my book up with how I used to wrestle with my older brother and his friends. And we would imitate the wrestlers in the WWE. And (laughs) that was the start of me learning how to, to be strong and how to overcome challenge and also how to deal with failure because me wrestling against my older brother and he's two years older than me. And so are his friends. I mean, physically, it was really challenging and I lost a lot. I pouted, I cried, but it was through there that I, that I learned, look, if you lose, just come back stronger. And I I really owe it to just all the things we did in the (laughs) nineties as kids, uh, wrestling, uh, dodgeball, hide and seek, capture the flag and just getting so winded from everything and getting so strong and agile I think capture the flag is one of the most demanding games you can play. Uh, You really want to get conditioned and have speed endurance and be able to react and develop your agility. And I just laugh now, you know, I I laugh and I'm also heartbroken at the same time when I see like seven to nine year olds doing these camps or these trainings and all the drills are rehearsed and these trainers are calling themselves speed and agility coaches for youth and they're taking them through drills that are a rehearsed they're done at sub max effort they're not even getting a good workout and they're being told how to go through all these drills there there's no creative expression and you know, I've I've had to kind of ignore what's going on on social media because it just it, it makes me so sad. And there's so many downfalls for youth physically with that, but also mentally and emotionally. And uh, in the book, I really wanted to reference a lot of neuroscience research um, from Dr. Stuart Brown uh, and also Dr. John Rady on why play and especially unstructured play and not giving kids all the answers is so important for their social development, but also developing their their emotional intelligence and how to navigate disagreements and to regulate their emotions and control their aggression. And I think it's important for, for parents and coaches to understand that and ensure that kids grow up in an environment where they're not just growing physically, but they're also growing mentally and emotionally. Yeah, you hit a lot. You 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 really spoke on a few things that I am seeing now. And um one of the one of the things that I see is the inability to problem solve. The inability to um have the emotional IQ to have those, you know, uncomfortable arguments and and distinguish you know, if someone is, you know, being mean to you or, or bullying you, or is it someone just trying to give you some, some feedback? There's, you know, there's so many differences. And I, I do, it's hard to be on social media sometimes because you see a lot of these cool ladders and cool plyos and, or, or whatever they want to call it. And there, you're right. It's not, it's not tailored um, to who's in front of them. I think it's, that's just showcasing whatever it is that they want to, they, you know, whatever's cool, that whatever looks good on video um, at the moment, I guess. I don't know. It's not a, I have a, I have a love hate relationship with social media and I, um, I have a love hate relationship with what I do because I'm in this, I'm in this thing where as a sports performance coach, we want to, regardless of the sport, I'm based on our company is based on long-term athletic development period. Like that is the foundation. That is the root. And you mentioned that in the book, like you have, I mean, again, I think this is one of those things where it's just, you're very successful with getting that message across because you come from a, 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 like a generation where we can go back to, well, yes, we used to do these things, but you know, 
we can't do them anymore because the environment has changed. Like the landscape of this soccer world or youth athletic world has changed drastically. How have you been able to navigate some of those things? I mean, club is, you didn't start playing club until what you said, 14. Yeah. I I switched to the best travel team in the state at age 14. Um, But, you know, before then, I I was sought out from travel organizations when I was really young and it was super alluring, but I was the type of kid that was like, you know, I just, I'm having fun where I'm at. Don't fix what isn't broken. I loved my rec team. I loved my coach. I had so much joy playing. Uh, and then eventually I got to a point at age 14 when I was a little bit more mature, I was like, okay, I'm ready for the next level. And I feel confident for the next level. And I feel confident because I grew to be the best on my rec team. And I just crave that that next challenge. And of course, when I switched to travel, I, I was not the best player on the team. And it was needed. I needed that uh, in order to, to grow and to get serious about the sport. And that's when I became even more disciplined. And that was the time when I started to do strength and conditioning. And my, my mom had mentioned it to me that one of my teammates had been doing it. And I remember watching this girl and I was like, wow, she does look a lot faster and she never gets tired. Like what's she doing? And I was competitive. I was like, I want to do that, you know? And I think that competitiveness, that discipline, it's, it's really missing. And I, I get a lot of parents who come to me and say that, they want their daughter to improve speed. And I was like, well, does your daughter want to improve speed? (laughs) Like she has to want to do it too. And I think that's something that parents and players need to think about. Do you really value getting faster? Do you value getting stronger? Do you value seeing what you're made of and making it to the next level? And with the increasing competitiveness in today's landscape, and the small percentage of players that are actually going D1 and who are actually getting full rides, I provide all the statistics in my book, everyone needs to be leveling up and working to get an edge. But a lot of people don't want to put in the work. And I'm still trying to figure out why. <laughs> you know, like it's it's such a puzzle to me. And I, you know, I work with girls who are super motivated but then I've seen the other end of the spectrum where it's the the parents wanting it and then eventually by high school the girl quit soccer because she's totally burned out so um you know it could be a parent's pushing it on their kid problem it could be a specialization problem it could be a distraction social media problem I don't know it's a very multi-layered issue it is a large issue and it is a very multi-layered issue. I do think so. Here's what I have learned. Um, so maybe I can give you a little insight, at least on my experiences of why the landscape has changed a little bit and how, or maybe even just some, some thoughts, because one of the things is during the pandemic, uh, I don't know where you're located at. I'm in Florida. I'm in Jacksonville. Tampa. Oh, okay. All right. So um, we we shut down. We couldn't train regardless of one on – like we just couldn't do it. And at the time, and we still do, we have an online training service. We have an app. And we had athletes say, you know what, this is a difficult time. We have no idea what's going on. But just to keep you active and keep you going, let's get everybody onboarded to the app for free. I mean, just let's let's go. Parents were losing income and jobs and some parents were, you know, not able to work remotely from home. It was just an odd situation. And then about four weeks in. We started getting phone calls or text messages. Little Timmy, little Susie is not doing this anymore. Doesn't want to do it. Lost interest. Okay, well, that was three that was just a few weeks of not being able to physically go out and play and you're quitting okay so was it you that really wanted this or that kind of drew that line of to your answer or to your question was like yeah the most some of the parents wanted more um than than the the kids because the kids wanted it just as much 
you know, they'd go and do their you know, activities, whether it was going for their runs, um, you know, on a, on an empty field or a parkway, whether they're getting their home workouts in, wherever it is, it, you saw, we saw a drastic drop off. And, and this is regardless of engagement. I mean, we were fully engaged with athletes. But what we noticed was the, it, it was a, it, it was more of the parents eventually, like looking back at it now, more parents want it now than the athlete. And I think it's because they are trying to live through their athlete, their child. Well, I played baseball. My son's going to play baseball or my daughter's going to do volleyball or, you know, maybe it's something that they never played. Maybe it's a sport where they were playing, let's say baseball and they got into soccer well now that baseball dad is a soccer dad and he's fully on board he is invested he is out there going to get those additional trainers and skill coaches and clubs and we got to find the best travel team because they have the resources to do all of those things and that's the second thing is the resources is not the same than it was before right we have um parents where they're spending a lot more on trying to get those kids to edge and kids know that well my parents have it I just and so it becomes not necessarily the again the kid wanting to but the parents presenting all of these opportunities and that's part of the that's part of the problem you want to see your kid like I think your experience and your it was it's not necessarily unique but your mom's like hey you know, this is strength and conditioning. You're, you're the teammates faster. Do you want to do that? And you were like, yeah, let's yeah. do that. Let's she just that. asked the, she just asked the question. And, she just asked. and I was like, I'm in, she didn't have to convince me, you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, there's just so much going on. I'm trying to just work through it in my head right now, <laughs> but I think we are also in way too deep with how the, the system is structured now and at this point, obviously, it's it's a big money-making machine, and then the parents are still feeding it money. And I call parents out in my book a lot, and it's like, you know, we can't we can't blame the system. Like, what even is that, you know? Right. And if you're blaming the system, aren't you the ones who are feeding it? You're the ones who are paying the year-round dues for travel soccer. You are the ones who are doing private lessons with the team coach in the summer when you should be taking off and doing strength training in the off season. You are the ones who are signing up for extra tournaments and camps. Like you are the ones who are feeding the year round system and who are participating in it and choosing to participate in it. And I think the solution is for parents to ask themselves, what is the best thing for my kid? And do I really need to do all of this stuff? And like, what's, what's the end goal? What, what am I really paying the system for? What am I trying to do? And a lot of people might say, I want my kid to play in college and have the college experience. And I love that college was amazing. And I recommend anyone does it and they go for it. But if they want their kid to play in college, then they have to really look can they handle the finances? Because it is very rare, again, for their kid to get a full ride. Even if they get a full ride, college is totally free. But all after all that said and done, after all the trainings you did for the kid, after all the club dues that you paid for, after all the extra things that you paid for, like, it's you didn't really make a gain from that, you know? Like, you still forked out a ton of money. So there has to be a greater reason as to why you're giving your kid all these resources. That I agree. I mean, listen, most of those parents were, they're upfronting their college tuition. It, it, exactly. And, right. and there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I don't think people actually work out the, the math through their heads, you know? Yeah. Somebody, and then I, they yeah. get to college and they're just like, they're like disappointed or maybe their kid um, ends up burning out and they don't want to play in college anymore. And they're like, well, all that money went down the drain, but it was like, look, did your kid 
make great friends from sports? Did your kid learn discipline? Did they learn how to commit to something and how to overcome battles and to strengthen their weaknesses? Like all these lessons that kids learn through sport, they're priceless, you know? Um, and honestly, I like, I think the, the dues for a lot of these organizations are out of hand, but if the kid is receiving quality coaching and just in a, they're with an amazing club, I'd say the investment's well worth it. And people need to think of it that way as well. Yeah, it is. There is an investment. I mean, you can look at anything and say it's an investment, right? Whether it's time, whether it's a financial resource, um, whether it's, uh, you know, contributing your, your, your volunteer time to the, to the club or to whomever. But <clears throat> One thing that I want to ask and and see if you maybe if it's just something that it's happening close to here or if it's a a, a local thing, uh, maybe it's a national thing. But if you have a a, a a girl who is she's strength training with you, she's um you know let's say she's been doing it with you for two months, and then all of a sudden let's say it's now soccer season mom and dad are like, Hey, it's soccer season. We we're going to go do this now. And they stop. Do you, have you experienced that at all? Yeah. Very common scenario. I used to experience it a lot early in my coaching career, but now that I've really looked into in-season training, the benefits of in-season training so that athletes can stay strong and they don't wither away and they can really focus on recovery. I require it. Um, I require that my athletes train with me in season. Um, if they end up leaving and breaking the contract, then I have a conversation with them as to why. And sometimes the reasons are, well, my daughter's playing for two middle school teams right now, or my daughter <laughs> wants to do uh, soccer and lacrosse in the same season. And I speak my piece and I let them know what's going on in terms of a loading standpoint with that and that and that replacing strength training and why that's not good for their bodies. And I say my piece and there are times when people just ignore me, which is fine. I've grown to not try to change everyone. Um, but then some people are like, no, you're, you're right about this because the last time we did two sports in the same season, our daughter got a, a nagging soft tissue injury and yeah, her strength did kind of wither away. So you're right. Um, sometimes people come back around years later and they're like, dang, like we should have listened. Yeah. Um, but, but you yeah. know, that's, that's, for, I, I don't want that to happen obviously, but that's for people to discover. And I, I really think parents know what's best for their kid but they feel pressured or they're not being strict enough. Um, you know, if, if it were me when I was growing up and I would tell my mom, oh, school's getting overwhelming and all this, my mom would be like, suck it up. Do your homework in the car. We're going to your strength coach. She would not have had any of it. But right. parents are too afraid to do that now because they're like, oh, we just don't want to overwhelm them. Well, do you want to injure them? Do you want them to su suffer a soft tissue injury? Like, it's just, it's crazy to me. And, um, you know, people are going to get mad. I say this, but there's a lot of coddling going on right now. A lot of coddling. I mean, shoot, we're all busy. You know, kids got to learn to be busy and make working out a priority. I'm 32. I run a business. I try to make time for friends and family and everything. And then on top of that, I'm still making my health and strength a priority. It, yeah, it's I, priorities, you guys. And you need to teach kids this. We're all busy. We're yeah. all overwhelmed. Like, <laughs> sorry, I got passionate, but it's it's true. It's like, what are we trying to teach kids, you know, well, to just you're, quit? You're, yeah, no, you you're there's a lot there's a lot there that you're again, I think this is also a generational thing where I can say because you're not too far off as far as age goes. So you there's a still you're kind of on that tail end of that generation where the coddling is, I don't, I think it's because the comfortability has grown. They've, maybe they weren't as comfortable growing up and their parents were not as, um, as successful or financially successful. And now, now they are, well, they, they're, now they're going to give their, their kids the resources that they didn't have. And, 
that just made them softer. You just gave them more excuses in that regard rather than saying, hey, you know what? I do have these resources. We're going to use them. But here's the deal. You know, again, kind of like your mom, like, no, we're still making strength training. I made a comment the other day um, to an athlete. And, you know, what are you going to do when you're an adult and you're out of college? Are you going to call mom and dad? Are you going to, you know, who, who are you going to run to to solve your problem? Yeah. You must be able like, I'm, we're taught, we're having these conversations at the age of, you know, 13, 14, 15 of if you're wanting to go and play in college, then I hate to tell you, you have to understand there's a maturity factor in this. And yes, you're, you know, 15 years of age. And you, sh- you know, if you want, if you think that you're, you think that you want to go play in college, that's cool. But let's talk about that when you're, you know, 17 and, and you're, the time is a little bit closer and you want to, you, you have the full understanding of what that means because you're still trying to walk through it. And I think there's some stunting um, going on as well. So mm-hmm. there's some emotional stunting because of the coddling. Yeah. And just the overall lack of discipline and discipline, it sounds like a terrible thing, but it truly sets you free because it it gives you meaning. You're, you're working towards something and you're being strict with yourself. You're taking responsibility for your life or your sport performance or whatever it is you do one day. And that's a lesson I'm just trying to teach the best I can. Um, But you know, everyone, figures it out on their own time you know it personally it it took me you know I was disciplined in high school but as far as like overall life it took me you know well through my choice to to really figure it out and get better and it's it's a journey but I think if anyone's working with young kids it's key to start talking about these things now and even things as simple as being on time or commuting, communicating to your coach clearly as to why you're missing a workout. I don't want your mom to email me why. You you tell me why. You text me. You have a phone. Um, it's just little things like that that just are so valuable for for young kids. And, you know, we're trying the best we can. <laughs> yeah. No, I think and, – and that's why I wanted to have you on and have this kind of, you know, start this dialogue and have – this opinion about there's a certain thing, yes, world and environments change and um, generations are going to be different. Obviously we were much different than our parents' generation and so on and so forth. And there's always going to be an evolution to how people mature, but there's still a, these core values that are slowly starting to slide away in the development of how, you know, again, how, how kids should be trained. I, I'm, when someone says I'm a speed and agility coach, I, I truly question, what does that mean? Like, yeah, uh, there, there seems to be a lot of definitions out there, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of definitions out there and there's a lot of, and, but you know, we're also in the, the space now we can change what those definitions mean at any given time. And if, you know, I, there, do I see a value in a speed and agility ladder? I mean, not really, but if I know that someone could benefit from it, just from, let's say a cognitive aspect of it, maybe that's what they need and that's what they can start with. So I'm not going to rule it out, but it's not going to be the thing that I'm going to say, this is an agility drill. That's not what agility is. Right. And then you, you have people in the other camp who are like, well, I use it for warm up, And I'm like, that's great. But realistically, we are given limited time with our athletes. So instead of doing that for warm up, why not work on real sprint mechanics and striking the ground with the ball of the foot and driving the knees and keeping the posture tall? A ladder doesn't really provide that no. uh, unless you really like slow things down. So like, yes, you can use it if kids find it fun and, and you want to just set aside five minutes. I don't really use the ladder more than like seven minutes. Yeah. But there's that argument with a lot of strength coaches that are like, well, we still use the ladder and they defend the ladder. And yes, great. But we can also be working on plyometrics, sprint mechanics, mobility, like any other things that would benefit the athlete way more. Yeah, I think that there's but there's that old 
there's going to be you're, we're, there's, we still get the pushback from certain positions of, well, my athletes will only do the big, you know, whether it's squat, bench and deadlift, or they're going to clean and jerk, or, or, you know, they're going to do some uh, Olympic weightlifting. Um, and there's a space, I think, for everything. I don't think that there's one thing that's going to be right or wrong. And especially if it's individualized and when it's sitting in an individual, like when you're trying to put it out there and say, well, you know, let's, let's start with Olympic lifting as for your, for your, you know, nine-year-old, you can show them some mechanics, but how about like a death drop to a vertical jump? I mean, that still provides triple extension and it provides them landing mechanics and then it provides them jumping mechanics. Um, it provides their hamstrings uh, absorption. So there's more value in that to me than getting them into a uh, an Olympic lift early on. Um, yeah. And I, again, I, I will get pushback and I will get feedback for that. And I don't care. I mean, but I also, again, this is it's just my opinion. It's Do also the it's your context too. It's uh, who you're working with and what their exactly. goals are. And exactly. Elizabeth, I don't, I might butcher her name, but Elizabeth Oler, um, she's an amazing Olympic lifting coach to youth youth athletes. And a lot of these kids though are training specifically to get better at Olympic lifting. Um, you know, she works with nine, 10, 11 year olds, and she does an amazing job, but their goal is specifically lifting. So That's you're going to start, you're going to start them with those progressions rather than maybe like a jump or hops or bounds or, or medicine ball work. So it's just funny because you go on social media and everyone gets so turbulent over some of the videos posted and mm-hmm. no one takes into account the the context, the training age, uh, the, the sport of the athlete, so, um, I mean, anyone who like, before you respond to a training video, think about the, the context first. <laughs> yeah. Or ask the question. How about ask a question? How about, you know, in the comments, if you're, if you're going to comment, you know, f- try to get the trainer's thought or at least the athlete's thought, what, whoever, wherever the video came from, you know, I, that's great that she's doing that at a young age for those kids, because that's what they want excuse me, that's what they want to focus on. But I make this, I make the same regards to CrossFit, right? If you want to do CrossFit, be a CrossFitter, like be that yep. and, and do that really well, train for that. But do not think that it's always going to be applicable to another sport. It's not, um, to me, it's not. And, and, and CrossFit wouldn't be the workout of choice if an athlete is trying to improve speed or acceleration <laughs> yeah, because they, of right. the, the high volume and how everything lasts minutes on end. That's not the physiological effect we want. And a, a lot of CrossFitters get, get offended. Um, you know, oh, when, yeah. when I yeah. say, well, soccer players shouldn't be doing CrossFit and they're like, well, why not? Like it teaches lifting and this and that. And I'm not like hating on CrossFit coaches. There's some amazing coaches who teach, youth athletes and soccer players how to deadlift really well like their form is impeccable and i'm not saying you know that's not the case but they're not working on speed and acceleration specific to the sport no and i've I, i've never seen a crossfitter run laterally right 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 so i that's my tell me tell me a a wad of the day where you're gonna do a lateral drill then maybe we'll have we'll start having conversations Maybe, right about how that would help soccer players but I, don't, I again maybe this is me just being ignorant to not knowing all of the hundreds and hundreds of crossfit workouts that there are but i've never seen one that requires them to move in a lateral lateral movement um so and, and again yeah i'm definitely not hitting on crossfit i'm not hitting on olympic lifting i'm not hitting on any any modality or any you know, philosophy and just making sure that the athletes understand why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And you're right. We're not, we're not hating on anything. It's just everything has its pros and, and cons for athletes of different sports. And we just have to, to be aware of that. And, you know, I recognize that when CrossFit became a fad, it, it really motivated 
young athletes, especially female athletes, to get in the gym. And I think there's something to be said for that. And I think that's a really great thing. So, um, yeah, I don't want to totally demonize the sport, but would I encourage my soccer players to do CrossFit now? No way. <laughs> right, right. Well, the, the other the other piece to that is, and, and I'm getting, I want to get ready to shift gears here for a second because I want to talk about your your college career in what how your strength coach prepared you guys versus what you're seeing now is there a difference (laughs) yeah a big difference so (laughs) unfortunately when i was playing at johns hopkins the women's soccer team did not have a strength coach well that's Um, a big difference yeah very big difference and thankfully all through college i stayed healthy And I think that's because I had a good foundation going in of all the years of doing high school and middle school SNC. But, you know, it wasn't ideal. And I think if we would have had a strength coach, I would have recovered a lot faster between games or had less muscle soreness because we were playing two games a week and we only had like a 48 hour recovery window, which is absolutely insane, (laughs) especially when you're playing the full 90 minutes as a left midfielder. Um, Looking back, it's like, how the heck did I do that? And especially you add on the sleep deprivation, the partying, all that. It's just a recipe for disaster. Um, But I think I would have been a lot better off of, of course I I did really well as a, a college soccer player and made a tall American and, broke a few scoring records, but I think I could have even had more potential if I had a strength coach during that, that time period when I was reaching my peak. And um, yeah, it was just a huge difference. And now Hopkins does have a full performance staff and they're, they're really knowledgeable and they're doing great things. They just redid the entire weight room and they're they're absolutely incredible, but I really look back and I wish I had them. Yeah, and well, so as you as you as you were in college, you know, when I was a youth playing, we were told to stay out of the weight room. Like that was kind of a thing where it was like, hey, you know, the weight rooms for football players, you're you'll get your runs, you'll get your conditioning in on the field or whatever it is, you know, push ups. You know, we did some calisthenics, you know, every now and then, but there was not a conversation of injury prevention in the, but I also think it's also because the injury rates were not as high, right? It wasn't as prevalent. So the, there was no necessarily urgency to have that conversation of why ACLs and hamstrings are uh, the biggest problem um, for soccer and just in, right now in general. Um, but that's an interesting point. And, you know, what's really fascinating is I, I saw this tweet from Jason Advedesian, who is an amazing sports scientist doing loads of ACL research. And um, he tweeted a couple weeks ago. He was like, amidst all of the technology and resources available and all the advanced <laughs> sports science analytics on ACL ACLs are still on the rise. Like I was like mind blown. What is going on with that? And again, it's such a multi-factorial issue. Maybe it is early specialization. Maybe it is lack of nourishment. Maybe it is sleep deprivation. It's it's so many things. And I don't think there's going to ever be one piece of technology to ever solve this problem. I mean, I hope I live to see the day, but it is seriously a layered issue. But I just laughed when I saw that tweet. I was like, dang, like we are forking out so much money on ACL research and technology, but nothing has improved. Maybe we should return back to the basics. Let kids be kids. Let kids play a, a variety of sports. Let them take a full season off and to just have fun or try other things let's go back to the basics because I look back and I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't even know what an ACL injury was until I was like 16 years old. Like it just, it wasn't a thing. There was no, it was was not a thing. That's right. The conversation wasn't there. That's what I'm, that's the the thought when I was saying it's just, it wasn't prevalent. So there was no need to like, Hey, yeah, you need to be in the weight room while for injury prevention or you, you know, to get stronger to run faster you need to be able to lift weight you can you know lift weights to do that but i also think it's it's also 
now that you know we're let's say 25 years ahead in and now we kind of knowing of what lifting weights will do for athletes there's still a stigma of lifting weights for kids right there's still this thing well it's going to stunt my kids growth what have you read any of this research have you there's there is a there's so many articles out now that strength training for for youth athletes is not only is it safe but it is now recommended yeah i don't really get the stunt growth argument especially because when you apply load to the body the 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 bones get stronger and That's... have a, a stronger mineral density uh the joints get more durable um the the muscles get stronger and soft injury soft injury tissue soft tissue injury goes down and muscle soreness goes down. It's just, it's super fascinating that I just, I can't understand that argument. And like you said, there's just so much literature behind showing why resistance training is so beneficial for kids. Um, And I think people just are afraid to give their kid off to a strength coach and they fear maybe the strength coach isn't knowledgeable and there's, there's a lot of amazing youth strength coaches out there who will write a program based on their maturity, their their training age, their their exercise background, and parents need to seek those people out, and that's the solution. And I think, and and I know as we as we seem as we're like, you know, quote unquote, you know, complaining about the issue, it's we're I, we're we're trying to recognize and we're trying to shed light. Um, we're trying to expose some of these these seemingly common threads that come across, right? Why does my child get injured? Well, you, your child only trained with us for four weeks now, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you so, get a lot of those. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> so um, I think it's it's our job to once we meet the parents and these, you know, potential athletes, it's to set the expectations off off the off board. I have mm-hmm. a I have an athlete right now. She started with me when she was 13. Um, coming off, uh, she actually tore her quad and went through physical therapy. It was it was just it was misdiagnosed, mm. and by the time you know it was I don't know she did that like 12, and then or 13, and then so by the time that she that we started to work with her we immediately sent her out to have a second opinion um because we could see the divot and where the tissue was adhering and this is the reason why um she was having quad pain still i mean she went through roughly you know 13 months of physical therapy and and nothing like she would get a little bit better and then it would go right back well it's because was it the patella tendon no so it was actually up high it was in her hip it was like high hip so, oh gosh, that's so, even worse. <laughs> yeah, it was almost like a hip flexor type of situation where that had kind of tore and there was a divot, right, where the where it tore and the it just didn't heal. And and you saw the divot upon certain movements and that athlete is still today with us because that parent saw the value and we set the expectations. Right off bat, it was, and that's just one, you know, that's one case. We have many others like that, that are, that still have, I mean, their kids are in college now and they're, they come back to us every single opportunity that they get, whether um, it's just for a weekend or if it's for, you know, spring break, whether it's for summer, it's because we set the the guidelines and we set that rule and we set the expectations like you, like you, you have this thing of here's my, yeah, it's in season, mm-hmm, but we're still training once a week or twice a week because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And I don't know if you know, but there is a, uh, I'll see if I can uh, find it, but for every week, an athlete stops strength training. They lose 3% in strength every week after that. Yeah. They're, there's something like that out there and if they take a full month off like that four to five week off is when they have a huge drop in in their strength 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, like a missed week here and there. Okay, maybe vacation or an exam week or maybe they have the flu that week. That's fine. But overall, even when life gets busy, you need to stick with it. Um, because like you said, that cessation and training, that's really going to harm the kid. And it's like you can't even progress at that point. And I've had a few remote athletes who have missed like full months of, of training. Like I logged onto the app and I saw that nothing was done for a month. Yeah. And I said to them, I was like, well, because you decided to, to do this then you're going to get the good old copy and paste. I'm going to re like copy your program. You're not going to move on. It's going to be the same movements from last month. You haven't graduated yet. Sorry. You got to stick with the basics and then I'll advance you. You get the good old copy and paste. Yeah. And then they're like, Oh shoot. Like that's how this works. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) it's like graduating from algebra to geometry or calculus. Like you can't miss a whole month or year of algebra and expect to get to the next level. Like that's not how it works. Yeah. And the one thing, I don't know if you experience this or not, but, and I'm sure you do, but you'll have a, uh, a high school or even like say 16 year old, just never has never done anything a day in our life ever. And now the expectations from mom and dad are she's got to be faster because she's, you know, coming up on, you know, a college ID showcase. Um, okay. Well, she's never done anything and, or he's never done anything. His biology, his, his, just because he's 16 years of age, doesn't make this individual have the same training. Like if you have a, a, uh, same 16 year old but they've been training since they were 12 that means they're four years of athletic maturity over this 16 year old yeah yeah sadly that's that's the case and um you know all we can do is just share to parents why we're we're doing what we're doing and it's for the the health safety and just gradual progression of the athlete what one of the questions that I wanted to ask was what made you write the book? I wanted like, to where get, did it come from? Yeah. So I, I really wanted to get a guidebook out there for female athletes because I was looking around and I was like, how is there not something like this? How is there nothing talking about female anatomy and hormones, the menstrual cycle, nutritional needs, the benefits of strength training, even like there's nothing out there. And yeah, there's a few like people blogging about it, but not really. There's not that much information. And in order for us to make a change with youth female athletes, there has to be the education around it because people are clueless. And I'm really glad I wrote it. And a a lot of people have, have really appreciated it. And I've had parents email me and and this makes me sad um but they they emailed me and they were like erica we read the book and we realized we did all of this wrong our our daughters have been suffering knee pain for several years their hips are popping uh they have labrum tears stress fractures and they confessed to me they're like we did the specialization model we just kept giving them more and more of their sport instead of preparing them on the back end with strength training and people like really confided in me after the book came out and i was like holy crap like you know it's not too late you guys like we can make a shift here and and don't be ashamed about it because there just wasn't education people just didn't know they just got caught up in everything and like for me i'm just glad that the book is having that impact and um, that's why i wrote it just to get the education out there and I'm going to definitely update it over the years with new additions because the research is constantly coming out. Um, so I'm really excited about that, but I'm just glad that the the first edition's out and, and people are really loving it. Well, I think that there's, there's, a, there's a value to it. I mean, I think that when, when I, when I, when I started to read it, what I was reading was your frustration. Like it was like this thing of where, like we're, it was like, guys, what are, what are we doing? Hold up, time out. Like, he, here's, it, I mean, obviously it came, it came from a place of like care and compassion and wanting to spread that information, but it also seemed like you, it was just like this 
Okay, because there is frustrating moments. There's frustrating times in our industry that, like, no matter what we're saying, is just not going to get through at all. And I'm glad that it's out, and I'm glad that. Um, I mean, I appreciate it. I have two. I have two daughters. I have a son. My son plays soccer, um, and he does. He's he's been doing his strength and conditioning since he was nine years old. And knock on wood, he this kid has remained healthy with no that's, injuries. That's awesome. right? And um, but from the female side of things, our our thing was founded because my in our area there was nothing really for kids, and there was nothing for kids to get evaluated. Now I'm not talking about like a like a, a sports physical because that's a that's a joke. Um, but we do like functional movement screenings for kids. We do, um, you know, video analysis of gait pattern and movement patterns. Like we're really trying to make sure that over, over regardless of over training, um, doesn't, doesn't happen. And, and we got to do it through strength and conditioning. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I know that you are extremely busy and I know that you got to get ready to, to, to go. Um, but let's tell people where they can buy the book and how to follow you on social media. Uh, yeah, I definitely appreciate the the conversation and I'm glad we could make this happen. And we'll, we'll definitely have to do a second part because there's so much we can get into, but you can get the book. It's, it's on Amazon. It's called the strong female athlete. So if you're new to female athlete training, I definitely recommend starting there, do the physical tests in the book with your female athletes, see where they're at. And, um, from there, if you want to look at any of my programs or on my site at ericasuter.com, but definitely start with the book. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Erica, thank you so much for your time. And you're right. We'll do, we'll do this again. Absolutely. Thank you, James. I appreciate you're welcome. it. Absolutely. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.